Welcome home, church family. You know, I think I sing better in a mask. <laughs> if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. As you're flipping through and you see some books in the Old Testament with numbers in front of them, you're real close. Second uh, Chronicles. Uh, as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of a background on what's going on. And I know a lot of people aren't into history the way I am. Uh, so please don't think me as giving you a boring history lesson. All of this is going to come into play as we look at the truth of what God has for us this morning. So when we're in Second Chronicles, we're dealing, of course, with the Israelites, God's chosen people, uh, all throughout the Old Testament as he was leading them and guiding them. Um, as we understand as God's character and nature is unveiled to his people, and uh, unfortunately, how his, his own people, their character and nature is unveiled and, and their inconsistency with trusting and following and serving the Lord. Uh, what we pick up here, uh, this is after King David. Uh, after King David reigned, there was King Solomon, his son. Uh, and this is kind of important for people who are reading and studying the Bible. After King Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel was divided in two. It's divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah, but that was where Jerusalem was, so it was still a pretty big deal. Um, The southern kingdom of Judah was kind of the kingdom that stayed closer to honoring the Lord more than the other kingdoms. So the book of 2 Chronicles kind of follows that that southern kingdom of Judah, and kind of we see what God's doing there. Uh, and, And where we pick up in chapter 20, there's a king named King Jehoshaphat. Now, Can we have a little bit of dialogue for just a minute? Are you all okay with that? Okay, good. I need to know, and I verbally need to hear you, how do you pronounce King Jehoshaphat? Okay, okay, good. I heard Jehoshaphat, I heard Jehoshaphat, I heard Jehoshaphat. I'm from Mississippi, so it's like Jehoshaphat, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just making sure, if I pronounce it in a way that isn't how you pronounce it, please forgive me, Um, but I'm going to go with Jehoshaphat. Uh, but that's the king who's kind of on the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, he's a good king. Uh, unfortunately, as we see through the Israelite people, we also see through the Israelite kings, many kings who turned their backs on God and, and worshipped false idols and little g gods and, and different things like that. And thus the people did as well. But uh, sprinkled in there are kings that honored the Lord. King Jehoshaphat was one of those kings that honored the Lord, it said he loved and honored the Lord the way his father David did. Now he's talking about being the lineage of David, not his immediate father. But he was a good king. While he was king, he, he built up the kingdom. He protected the people. He, he destroyed the worship of false gods. He broke the Asherah poles. He tore down the high places. He, he eliminated false god worship because he wanted to bring the people back to loving God and serving him and honoring him. During this time, he actually built up an army of over a million men. Now, if I were to say today, hey, there's, a, there's a, an army of more than a million men, we would be kind of impressed by that. So you can imagine in Old Testament times having a, an, an army of over a million soldiers. You can flip back a few chapters in Second Chronicles and it details how those numbers are spread out and how there's over a million men were in his army. So um, it's significant, this guy and his kingship. He was a good king. And things were going well in Jerusalem. Things were going well in Judah. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things that Jehoshaphat had just done before we get to chapter 20 is he had established judges 
not like the book of Judges, but he had established judges to rule in the smaller areas so that the people would know the law of God. Because if they knew the law of God, they knew how to honor God, they knew how to follow God, they knew how to serve God. And he was all about the people returning back to God. So he had just kind of put into place this really cool system of how the people would know and be judged by the law of the Lord. Trust me, guys. I know some of y'all are already asleep, um, but this makes sense. It's where it comes into play, so just hang with me. But, but that's kind of where we are, and we get to chapter 20. And chapter 20, something happens. Because if you see there in the first verse of chapter 20, you see, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war with Jehoshaphat. So now this is where it gets interesting. We have this good king. We see all these wonderful things that he's done. And now we have this huge army of these three people groups coming together against him. And, and I want us to kind of start queuing in right here. I want us to start homing in of what Jehoshaphat did in response to it. Because it's unique that Jehoshaphat went straight to God. Now, you, you hear that and you might think like, well, Justin, duh, it's in the Bible. He's supposed to do that. Well, not according to some of his predecessors and not according to those who have come behind him. The initial response wasn't turn to God. Let me just ask you this. When you come up against something really big that's a little bit too big for you to manage, is that your first response? And I hope it is. I'm not trying to like call you out. I hope it is. But unfortunately for me, it's not. And I say that in shame. But his first response was to turn to God. What's one of the things that's so unique about that? I just told you, man, this guy had established an army of over a million men. And his first response isn't, well, call up the army. Hey, send some guys, start getting everybody together. No, his first and his only response was to turn to God. And when he turned to God, it wasn't just him. When you read chapter 20 and you kind of walk through there, he brings and he presents himself before God, but he also presents the whole nation of Judah before the Lord. He brings everybody in together and he makes an appeal to God. First in his appeal, he acknowledges God's faithfulness. If you go and you read chapter 20, you'll see that in his appeal to God as he's pleading with God, he is referring to God's faithfulness all the way back to Abraham, the father of the Israel nation. He was referring to how God has been faithful and how good God is. He's worshiping God. He's bragging on God. But his pleading with God culminates in a verse that I want us to to take some time this morning and look at because it's so honest. It's so vulnerable. It's just so powerful. I want us to see it. And it's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Look at what he says here. He's just plead, he's pleading with God, bragging on God, dealing with this situation where he's outnumbered by this huge three armies merging into one. And he says this in verse 12, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. No power? For we have no power. I mean, here is a king. Here is a king. A proud king. A successful king. A king with a a million man army. That's power, right? At this time, when he's facing these insurmountable odds, he could have turned to a lot of things. He could have looked to his million man army. He could have just gone to God in his kind of his own private quarters or whatnot. Just gone and kind of one-on-one God. 
You know, because what he's admitting to here is, God, I am weak. We are weak. We have no course of action. We're completely overwhelmed without you. That's vulnerability. And he could have easily, in his own private chambers, gone before God and said, hey, God, I'm kind of overwhelmed here. What do you want me to do? No, I love the, the imagery here that he went and stood with amongst his people. If you look in this verse, four times in one verse, there is a reference to a first-person plural, we, ours, us. He's referencing the fact that he's all in. He's with his people, come what may. And his people are with God. It's a beautiful thing where he just does all. He could have done all these different. He could have run off. You know, if you look in history, even some in, in history and scripture, you see that a lot of times when kings were up against something like that, they were like, oh, look over there, guys. And they hit the back door, man. They were out. He could have done that. But he was going to stand with and among his people. And he declares, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, I can't help but read this passage of Scripture and and look at our world that we live in. And uh, church, I'm going to need a favor from you today. Um, I'm going to need you to... um, I told the first service, there's a really good chance when you leave here today that somebody near you or maybe yourself be like, that wasn't even a sermon. (laughs) And uh, I just kind of need you all to hang with me for that. If you're a guest of ours today, thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, I really am glad you're here. Um, But today's going to be a little different than what we normally do. So uh, either give us one more chance or, uh, you know, I'm sorry. But we we just need to have a little bit of a family talk today. And if you're a guest... You just kind of sit in on that. So uh, just letting you know. But we look at this text. We look at where we are as a world. We look at where we are in our culture. And, you know, when we think about all this COVID stuff, when we think about school starting back, when we think about all these things, there's a lot going through our minds, isn't it? You know, how many times have you said, or don't, don't answer the question how many times, if you have heard or said the following statement, raise your hand, Boy, we've just never seen anything like this. Anybody heard that or said it? Keep your hands up. I really, it takes me a while to go all the way around the room. For most of us, yeah. Truth is, nobody has ever seen anything like this. Not in our nation's history. We don't know. We've never seen anything like this. The oldest person in the room, Bobby Sandoval, he's not even been alive long enough to see this stuff like this. We've never seen anything like this. You know, the truth is, with everything we're dealing with, this COVID stuff, the world's different now. Church, life is different now. And if the world's different and life is different, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, and maybe you haven't noticed, but, but how we do church is different now. I know that. It's, it's a reflection of, of where we are, but, but church, let us... We have one of two options when we come together as a church. We can either lament and kind of complain and whine about what's going on we can choose to thank god that his faithfulness endures through all things when you look in scripture that's what most of his people did they either chose to whine and complain and shake their fist at god or they went back to their knees and they said god this isn't exactly what we wanted but we still thank you because you're god and church we need to be that that church we need to be that body of believers 
that we give God thanks, we acknowledge his faithfulness in this, that whether we're here in person, whether we're gathering together online, we need to thank God for making a way for us to stay connected to each other and to him. We've got to be thankful. No, none of us prefer this. We've got to be thankful in the middle of it. But if we're going to be honest, which is kind of the heart of what we're dealing with today, we, we don't need people getting COVID because they came to church. We don't. We don't want to have a reputation, not just Westmead, but the church in general of don't go there, you'll get sick. And the truth of the matter is, anytime you leave your house, you're putting yourself at risk. When you come to church, when we gather in this room, you're putting yourself at risk. When you go to Publix, you're putting yourself at risk. When you go to Walmart, big risk. (laughs) Y'all know this, right? Just leaving the house is we're putting ourselves at risk. Church, please hear me on these things because we just need to talk about some of this stuff right now. We can't come to church and act like this pandemic's not happening outside these walls. We can't come in here and just do it the way we want to do it because well, this is church and this is what it should be. Church, during this time, we have to be cautious. We have to be careful. And again, I've said this before, and sometimes my words have been twisted and I've been presented with that, but I need you to understand something. I'm asking you. I'm encouraging you. I'm doing everything, and if I have to, I will beg you that if you're not comfortable being in here in person, please, it's okay to join us online. I encourage you to to be online if if that matches your comfort level. We have people that are of greater risk uh, during this time, and please do what's right for you, what's smart with you. We are still connected Okay, even if it's online, even if it's like this, we're still connected. Do what's right for you. I will champion your stance in that. And people say, but Justin, online's just not the same. You're right. It's not. And if you're joining us online today, thank you for joining us online. But you'd be the one to attest. It's different. It's not the same when it's online. But here's the absolute truth. It's not the same in person either. Have you noticed that you can't sit but every other pew? You notice that people are wearing masks? It's not the same here. I'm a hugger. I'm starving. At the end of the first service, one of our dear church members, she walked up to me and she looked around. Like she was going to say a cuss word or something. She looked around and she was like, stand here. She goes, I'm going to hug you. I said, come on with it, girl. She gave me a hug. It was awesome. I'm a hugger. We don't see hugs anymore. We can't shake hands. We can't gather at the altar and pray together. There's no choir. I don't know if you've noticed, but yeah, it's different online. It's different when you're here, too. And, and right now, that's just kind of where we're at. And church, we just need to have patience together. 
Like, we don't have all the answers of, of what we're going to do next or what needs to happen or what we need to implement and what we don't need to implement. We don't have all the answers. But, but guys, I promise you this. God has given us enough through the practical wisdom of medical experts to know that maybe we don't have the answers to how this thing goes away, but we have the answers to what we need today to practice health and safety for the benefit of those around us. In, the, in your bulletin this morning, if you open it up on the, on the panel... There's a section that says COVID-19 church expectations. Church, these are the things that we ask you practice when you come on campus. It's just to practice safety, to practice what we can do with what God has given us today to get through this. Now, everybody, everybody look up now. I just showed you something kind of cool and fun and shiny to look at while he talks for the next few minutes. You can take this home. That's actually one of the things listed in there. Please take your bulletin when you leave. Take this home and read it because this is going to be printed every week. But I need you to hang with me for a little bit. Okay? God's given us this so that we can keep moving forward in what to do. But church, let me remind you, Second Chronicles 20.12. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But church, as we continue this conversation, if we're not careful, Westmead, we can let our personal preferences take priority over what's best for the whole. Let me say that again. If we're not careful, we could let our personal preferences take priority over what's best for the whole. The church is sitting in a threat. Said, just, just hear me on this. If we start having that mentality, then we're going to jeopardize the privilege of worshiping together in person. We can't come on campus and act like nothing's happening in this outside world. We can't show up and make church the way we want it to be. We can't show up and make church the way it used to be. It's just not a good idea right now. And, and when, when we show up and we want to make it what we want it, and we don't care about somebody else's comfort level, then we're jeopardizing our, our ability to meet together in a healthy context. We have to come on this campus, and I hope we had this mentality before this pandemic started. But even more so now, when we come onto this campus, we need to have the attitude and the mindset that I, whatever, whoever I come in contact with on this campus, I've got to show them Christ and minister to them effectively. That needs to be our heart's desire when we come here. Too often times we show up at church with an empty tray and we walk up like a buffet line and be like, all right, what you put on my plate today? Because I don't want that. No, don't tell me that. No, I don't want, ooh, give me more of that. That's not what church is. Churches, we show up, we gather, we serve one another, we love one another, and we glorify the Lord in doing so. And when that becomes our attitude, when that becomes our mindset of who can I minister to today, then God is glorified and our church gathers. And the unity of our church is preserved and and celebrated. When we show up with the desire to minister to every single person, and you're thinking, Justin, I don't know every single person here, how do I minister to them? Well, here's one way we can minister to them. Be considerate of everyone else's comfort level. Just consider that the people around you may not be as comfortable with you are as, as how you practice things. So let's be mindful. Let's be cautious. Consider the needs of others higher than our own. 
Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That should be in the Bible somewhere, David. Oh, that's right. We've got to be mindful and considerate of the people around us. Not just our friends, not just our Sunday school class, not just the people we choose to sit with, which, by the way, that's written in there too. We minister to each other by making sure that that's, that's right now, that's how we can minister to one another. And let me warn you, right now, you might not be aware of this truth, but right now, every little thing in our country is being politicized. You might want to write that down. I know it's mind-blowing. Every, including this pandemic. And here's the problem. When things start getting politicized, it starts drawing dividing lines. Church, one week ago, we stood right here. And we burned a note. And we stood and we celebrated and we shouted and we sung hallelujahs and glory to God because of his faithfulness. A great victory, a great milestone in the life of Westmead Baptist Church. It is not a coincidence that our unity is under attack. I just told you about this story that before we even hit chapter 20, in chapter 19, Jehoshaphat had just set up this new system of judges to where the people would learn how to honor and serve and love the Lord. How the people would choose to live for their God. What a great accomplishment in the life of Judah that this was just established. And what happens when they finally get their focus back on the Lord? The next thing that we see happen is they're under attack. Church, Unity within the body of church is God-ordained. And when things start getting politicized and we start having these ideas and attitudes and mentalities, then the body of Christ becomes under attack when we bring that attitude into this place. And I pray that every single one of us will not value our personal opinions above the biblical mandate of church unity. Do y'all know what that means? Yes, I know in this room we have people that are very passionate on their opinions towards wearing masks. I know. I know in this room we have people who have strong opinions on social distancing. You have uh, your conspiracy theories. You have your ideas on where these numbers are really coming from. We're worried, we're concerned about the fact that school is starting up in the next two weeks and what's going to happen. We have all these concerns and passions and opinions and, and listen to me, your opinions matter. If you, if you don't have anybody to talk to, call me. Stop by my office, wear a mask. And, and, and just share all of your opinions with me. I will listen to every single one of them. But understand this, church family. When we come together, even online, when we come together, we set our personal opinions aside for the sake of the biblical unity of this church to glorify and honor God together. That's what we do we need to be careful that we don't value our opinions higher than the biblical mandate to church unity and if if we can't then i encourage you and beg you to join us online at home in order to prevent division in the church Because 2 Chronicles 20:12 says for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on the Lord. Lastly, can I just can I just be honest with you for a little bit? 
can we just kind of strip everything down and pretend like we're not at church and we're just kind of sitting around in a bunch of weird couches talking to each other? Can we do that? I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be transparent. Ministry's, ministry's hard. And the people that just amen, that's not because they're trying to agree with me. That's experience talking. There's a lot of people in this room. You don't have to have a title of minister in your name. You know ministry's hard. We have teachers in this school that profess Jesus as Lord, and they know ministry is hard because of what they have to overcome in order to proclaim the gospel. We have, we have businessmen and businesswomen in this room that you know ministry is hard because of the things that the world has put against us that we have to overcome and navigate. As ministry is hard. Before a pandemic hit. Ministry is even more challenging now in the middle of a pandemic. And, and, if, and I can just talk personally with you for a minute. If you woke up this morning and you said, man, I just really want to do somebody a favor today. That's why God has brought you here. Because I need you to do me a personal favor today. Sometime this week, between this Sunday and next, I need you to personally and intentionally reach out and encourage one of our staff members. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm not talking about me, because in all this, I've still been able to stand to proclaim God's word, and, and that's awesome. That's, but let me tell you, when, when you're told you, you can't have a choir anymore, and you can't have corporate prayer anymore, but yet you still have to put together a way to lead a congregation to worship together like David has, and all of that's taken away from you. Or when you're, when you're Julie Buckley and you're passionate about young at heart ministry and special needs ministry, which, by the way, is the two greatest at-risk people groups in our nation right now, and she feels guilty if she tries to do a ministry event with them, but she feels guilty if, there does, if there does, she doesn't. When you look at Ben... And you take away VBS. And you take away every children's programming that's possible, and there's nothing. And when you take Terrence and you strip away a summer, which, by the way, in student ministry, summers are where it really happens. You really dig deeper into those relationships, and you you lose all of those trips and mission opportunities and relationship, and it's all gone. But yet those four amazing, passionate people of God show up to work every single day saying, okay, we can't do it the way we do it before. God, what do you have us do today? Because we're ready and we're all in. Pray for your staff and find a way to encourage them this week. Because I'm so thankful for who the people are. I get to stand beside every day to do ministry. Ministry's challenging. But our crew, they're not giving up just because it's harder. And for those of you who profess Jesus as Lord, don't give up because it's harder. Why? Because the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. Maybe you have to wear a mask and you don't like wearing masks. The gospel is worth it. Maybe the open door opportunity now is even bigger than it was then. The gospel is worth it. If you profess Jesus as Lord, then go profess Jesus as Lord. It's hard. It's harder with a pandemic, but it's worth it. Find a way. And since we're being honest, I'm going to tell you something. I have no idea what church is supposed to look like right now. I have no idea what we're supposed to do next. 
I have no idea when this whole thing's going to end and go away. I have no idea when we're going to be back in one service. I have no idea. This may come as a shock to you. When I was in seminary, there is no class called Pandemic and the Church 101. (laughs) There might be now, but there's not a class for that. I have no idea what to do. (laughs) You watch your mouth. (laughs) But here's the thing. I know one thing. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, He's going to lead us through this church family. He's going to take us to where He's leading us. He's taking us to what He's trying to teach us. He's trying to show us something right now. And if we keep our eyes on the Lord, He's going to walk us right through the heart of this thing to the other side to where we look back and say, look at how good and glorious our God is. But we've got to keep our eyes on Him. We don't need to keep our eyes on what other churches are doing or what they're not doing. We don't need to keep our eyes on what I want to do, what makes me happy. We don't need to keep our eyes on every single newscast and every single video posted on Facebook. We need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. And when we do, when we all keep our eyes on the Lord, we keep moving forward. We stay united as a church which gives us the opportunity to love every single person that walks on this campus and it gives us every opportunity to meet every need of those who are gathered off campus because we keep our eyes focused on the Lord. I pray that today we would be willing to lay aside our personal feelings about what's going on in the world today and we just focus on a kingdom mindset of Who, Lord, can I show Christ to today by whatever means necessary? Because 2 Chronicles 20.12 says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on the Lord. Eyes up, church. Eyes up. Let's stay focused on the Lord in all of this. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what happens when school starts. I know if things get bad, we might have to all go back to online for a little while. And if that's what it takes, then that's what we'll do to stay connected, to stay unified, to stay focused on the Lord. But in the meantime, let's just trust him to lead the way. And when we see him leading, let's follow him. Eyes up. Can I pray for you? This morning, as we've been talking about a pandemic, there's a whole lot of people that don't really know what to do, but you know what? Maybe in your life there's something bigger than a pandemic that you really don't know what to do. Maybe your whole life feels out of control, not because there's a pandemic, but just because that's, that's kind of where you've been the last few weeks, months, years. And when things get out of control, you just, 
You don't know what to do. Maybe you feel like Jehoshaphat and you know, everything just seems to be piling up against you. All these armies just coming out of nowhere and piling up against you. And you feel overwhelmed and overpowered and you don't know what to do. Listen, did you know that you didn't have to do it all by yourself? You don't have to know what to do. Because you can't do it all by yourself. This morning I have to tell you that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who will fight for you. There is a God who will walk with you, who will guide you, who will lead you, who will provide for you. And this God has offered you life. You see, because we're not God, we deal with sin, failure, mistakes. And that sin is enough to separate us from a holy, perfect God. Even just one sin is enough to separate us. We can't even communicate with And when we have sin and we're separated from God, that means we deserve death. And if we die and we're separated from God, then then we deserve hell. And we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything to erase our sin. We can't do anything to make it all better. We can't do anything to make it right. We've offended a perfect God, and that's just the way it is. Until... God demonstrated that perfect love of His towards you. You see, God knew that our sin separated us from Him and there's nothing we could do to reconnect. So He did the only thing that He could do. He gave His only Son willingly. It wasn't an obligation. He wasn't forced it. He chose to give His only Son and His Son's name is Jesus. And he came to earth and he lived a perfect life, which means that he didn't have any sin and he didn't have a reason to die. He didn't have a reason to be separated from God. He was connected with God the whole time. But but the plan was for him to willingly lay down his life and that your sin and my sin and the weight of it and the penalty of it and the, the part of it that separated us from the heart of God was all placed on him. He asked God, he said, God, can all of the sin of the world be placed on me and That I die with it. So that they, so that Justin, so that your name will no longer be separated from God if they choose. And on a cross, Jesus suffered and died. And the weight of the penalty of our sin died with him. And on the cross, he conquered sin. And they buried him in a tomb. And three days later, he walked straight out of it. I know what that means. That means a dead man came back to life. You're right. Because that's the power of God. To not just conquer sin, but to turn to conquer death, which is a penalty of sin. And through Jesus, sin and death were conquered. And through Jesus, we can be united with God again. 
But you have to choose to accept the price that Jesus paid in your place. You have to choose that. It's not guilty by association. It's not how many Christians you know. It's you and God. That's what a relationship is. And if this morning, with everything in your life that's out of control, with everything in your life that you don't know what to do, and everything in your life that's piling up against you and you're just at your wit's end, my question to you is, have you ever turned your eyes to the Lord? Because he turned his heart towards you. This morning, there's a lot of choices to make. But would you be willing to choose Jesus today? Would you be willing to accept his offer of forgiveness and love? For the first time in your life, experience hope, joy, love. I pray that you would. In just a few minutes, we're going to stand and sing. And and during that time, we're going to have people on each side of the platform who are here for you and if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, just step out from where you are, walk down and see, see one of these gentlemen or one of these ladies. They'll walk you around back and they'll pray with you, they'll listen to you, they'll talk with you, they'll encourage you. Maybe you're already a believer in Jesus and you just, some of the stuff of the world today is overwhelming you. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I encourage you, step out of your pew in just a few minutes and let God through his people love you, pray with you, Whatever God is calling, let's be obedient. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege we have today of acknowledging your word, for the privilege we have today of being a church family to talk about some real issues that that we're up against. But God, I pray that we as a church would lay everything of us aside so that Jesus will be made and shown alive through us and how we treat one another, and how we handle delicate situations, and how we love one another. God, this morning, there's someone here that's just not sure about their relationship with you through Jesus. God, I pray that they they get that question answered. That they step out, they come talk to somebody and say, I want to know for sure that I belong to God. God, for the believer in this room, Maybe they've been distracted by all the voices that are shouting right now, Father. Maybe this morning, God, they just need to return to the still, small voice that starts in our heart and goes to our heads, spoken through the Holy Spirit, leading us and guiding us. God, wherever wherever we are, you meet us where we are. So, Father God, this morning, as we respond to you in this invitation, may we meet you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Will you stand as we sing?